Hello and welcome to the brand new educational podcast, The Teachers of Tomorrow. With The Teachers of Tomorrow. With your co-host, Mr. Aldrin, otherwise known as Matt. And Mr. Gregory, also known as Sam. And we are here to share our journey, experiences and views on all things education. Hey guys and welcome back to the latest podcast episode where today we're going to be covering the topic around PE and sports premium and in particular we're going to be looking at how it impacts teacher development. Now Sam, I know before we get started this is a subject that's really close to your heart and the reason why we've decided to do it today is basically because you based your dissertation around this particular aspect so just before we get started sort of how excited are you to to get this episode out there? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be honest with you. Um, like Matt said, I did my dissertation on it. My background is PE, so I've had experience of the PSP. So if we say PSP, we're referring back to the PE and sports premium. I've worked as an apprentice, I've worked as a sports coach, and I've worked as a joint PE coordinator as well within a school. So I've had a range of experiences and a range of different um, experiences regarding the, the PSP funding. So yeah, I'm really excited and it ties in nicely as well because of the recent announcement from Gavin Williamson on July 5th regarding extra funding for schools uh, this yeah. academic year. Yeah, definitely. Um, just before we sort of get right into it, this is going to form sort of the, the first part of the PE mini-series, as it were. Um, we've got some exciting guests lined up after this, following on from this topic, which uh, I know we're going to talk about later on. So, you know, keep an eye out if PE is kind of your subject, or if you, if you want to understand a bit more about PE, I know for me personally, this is a really good insight into the PSP and, and how it impacts teacher development, then by all means keep an eye on the mini-series. In terms of if you want to get in touch with us after this episode, um, our podcast handle is at the Teachers of Tomorrow on Instagram. Equally, if you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, it's at TFT Pod. And particularly if you want to get in touch with us individually, I know Sam's probably the go-to man this week. His Instagram is at Mr. Underscore G Underscore 14. And if for some reason you want to come come my way even though I'd be pointing you straight to Sam anyway <laughs> it's uh, at the alternative teacher underscore now Sam you mentioned about the recent funding uh, announcement of the PSP just for anyone that's kind of unaware of what PSP is or what it means it'd be good for you just to explain to everyone as you did to me sort of the outline of it and, and what it means for for schools and education yeah so the funding uh, came after the 2012 Olympics um because government wanted to create a legacy and ideally for children and encouraging a lifelong participation in sport and improved quality of PE. So the recent announcement on July the 5th, Gavin Williamson announced that there was an extra 320 million pounds going into PE and sport uh, this academic year. On top of that as well, obviously we've been through a pandemic, so schools that haven't used the funding from last year, they can then use it this year. So per school, which who are a one form entry, this equates to about £18,000 per year, plus obviously money that's been rolled over from the previous year as well, which is on paper quite a substantial amount of money to improve the the subject and raise awareness and change perception, but also as well use as a tool for whole school development. Particularly a foundation subject as well. I mean, if you compare that to other foundation subjects, I, I can only assume that they would be getting nowhere near that sort of extra funding. So, like I say, on paper, it's you know it's it's a really good tool and a really good initiative to kind of promote PE, sort of potentially higher up the the ladder, as it were. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognise as well. So, initially, when the funding came in in twenty twelve, it was originally um, 
there was only 100, well, I say only, there was 160 million pounds um, being pumped into PE. This changed in 2015-16 uh, under David Cameron, where he announced that funding would go up to uh, 320 million. So it's doubled in that period. And it's, so it's been around for eight years. Um, since the the funding was announced back in 20, uh, 2012, there's been five key indicators that the Department of Education have used for schools to use as a guideline of how to improve PE and what they can do with it. So the first one is try to, well, not try, engage all pupils in regular physical activity. Obviously, the emphasis being on all pupils. Increase the profile of PE and sport and use it as a tool for whole school development. Uh, offer children broader experiences of physical activities and introduction of new sports. So this could be like dance, yoga, uh, gymnastics. Uh, increase par participation regarding competitive sport. Now, I know from my experiences, the area that I work, uh, worked in, uh, really, really good setup, and that was that uh, that came from Yorkshire Sport Foundation. Um, the organisation, the amount of sports and opportunities the children got within our area was incredible. Uh, obviously, I don't know what it's like for other people in different areas, but yeah, really, really good, really good initiative, and that comes from the school games. Yeah, and then finally as well, which is one we're probably touching on a bit more today, is. Uh, to increase the confidence, knowledge, skills of all staff regarding the teaching of PE and sport. And I think you touched on it there. It's, on paper, it's fantastic, the actual guidelines, because it does cover sort of the wider range of, of what PE is about. You know, you'll go into more detail about it, but it's not just about sport and activity, it's about the physical activity and it is about how it impacts kind of the well being and the holistic development of, of a child and also teachers as well, which is why we're going to look at sort of how the PSP is impacting teacher development in particular and, and teacher confidence. Now, one thing that isn't mentioned in the guidelines, thankfully, is using it for PPA cover. <laughs> now, I know that's a subject which uh, you've got an awful lot to talk about. Do you care to touch on that before we sort of move forward? Yeah, I think there's uh, a couple of things that I'll mention as well. So in the guidelines as well, the Department of Education stated two clear things that, that needed to happen or not to happen. So one of them, like Matt's just said about uh, the fund is not to be used for PPA cover. Um, and it's not just PE, but a lot of the foundation subjects are seen as afternoon subjects. So this is where, uh, for example, maybe a TA will, will teach it with PE because it's now being predominantly outsourced. Uh, people will come in and teach it whilst teachers go and do other things. And we'll explore that in a bit more detail because I don't just want to leave that uh, like that. And the other thing as well, which we'll touch on again, is schools uh, have to now publish how they spend their funding on their school website so it's public knowledge and obviously uh, there's a bit of transparency about how the money's been spent and why it's been spent so i mean all, all in all on paper fantastic you know P's winning apparently <laughs> i know however you're gonna tell me otherwise so <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to this um obviously we touched on you know p as a mini series going to be a wide range of topics that we'll discuss going forward but today we're just going to particularly look at the impact of the PE Sports Supreme on, on outsourcing and how that impacts uh, teacher development. So I know you've got some some really important facts which I found, I would say surprising, but having been sort of in the sports coaching um, scene myself for a few years, it's not surprising at all because like I say, the facts we're going to say now kind of represent what is happening across the country. Yeah, so in 2015, uh, the, the Department of Education released a review of the... Uh, uh, this was in line when they increased the uh, the funding to three hundred twenty million pounds. Um, they re they released a review uh, regarding the the PSP and its impact and what was happening with it uh, so far. It was found at that time that 
of all schools, 70% of them were using sports coaches to deliver after school clubs or PE. On top of this as well, it was further found in this document that the reason why there was, well, the, a re, one of the reasons why there's such a high proportion of coaches within the school system right now is because there is actually a lack of interview process. Um, it was stated that schools could not specify qualifications they looked for when they were, well, when they were telling uh, the review about uh, what is it, why have you hired these people in? Um, only 30%, 38% mentioned a professional accreditation and that could be a wide range of things. That could be like a level two dodgeball badge. Only 3% mentioned a teaching degree or a PGCE or a P specialism regarding the hiring of these external sources, which kind of ties into the next section that we're going to go on to and how that's impacted on teacher development. I think it's a tricky one, that last bit, because like I say, I'm glad you sort of specified the, the difference of professional accreditation because, you know, level two coaching badge, for example, is, is easily achievable for people that are maybe working a full-time job and just want to get into coaching. You know, I've got my level two football, I've got various other coaching qualifications and, you know, that and that's fine. But again, I can imagine it's quite it's quite difficult for for coaching companies to attract people who have got PGCs, for example, or QTSs that have spent three years focusing on teaching and then have decided to just focus solely on PE. So, yeah, bit of, bit of a funny one, that, really, I think, for me personally, but I can understand, but I'm glad you've touched on the professional accreditation and it, it links kind of to when we were at university completing our dance module, we had a conversation with um, a head of a dance college and he was saying that in the same in dance, there's no kind of professional board, as it were, or governing body which which monitors the standards of what they kind of need to to meet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same as as sort of the outsourcing. I think the outsourcing could potentially um, need a governing body that's going to monitor them qualifications and monitor the the staff that are going into into these companies. Yeah, and is you, you've sort of started to touch line on. Um... Like the lack of monitoring as it were um, because obviously we've said about the professional accreditation that could range from like a level two football badge which which is fine because um, at the level twos <laughs> at, at, at that level at a junior level um, yeah that that applies solely to recreational sports outside of school the moment you step into school you are required to have the knowledge of pedagogy ideology childhood theories knowing how to uh, manage children behaviourally and having that understanding as well. I've got a question to come back for you on that one though. You have been coaching and, and working in the PE, various PE roles for the last five years. Can you say to me that you knew things about childhood theories, pedagogies, ideologies before you came to uni? Okay. In, in enough detail. I'm just asking, playing devil's advocate. No, no, it's fine because it's important to realise as well that when we talk about outsourcing, I'm not saying every single outsourcing company is a problem. The problem is it's not a national trend that enough outsourcing companies are doing the right thing. I was really lucky with my outsourcing companies that I work for that I wasn't teaching P. So when I left school, I was a, I was apprentice and I was paired up with a qualified PE teacher uh, and I was working under him in, in, in the school. So I gained my experience um, my knowledge uh, for PE and the curriculum uh, through that person. Likewise, when I went to my full-time job, originally 
I worked under the PE coordinator. So again, she was qualified as a teacher and a specialist in, uh, in PE. Obviously the following year, because of how I had done, they recognized what I'd done. I, w I didn't take over from her, but I was joint PE coordinator. So in answer to your question, I didn't obviously have the the childhood theory, but I was I was utilized in the right way. And But now, for example, like rather than staying on at sports coaching companies and not having that knowledge, I've done a primary education degree solely focused focus on ideology, ped pedagogy, perspectives, and my PGCA is a PE specialism within primary schools. So that's my answer to you, Matty. Yeah, I was just sort of asking because you sort of painted a, yeah, a picture of your journey and obviously now you've got a wider understanding, a greater understanding of of you know the ideologies and the, and the, and that side of things. However, like I say the previous five years, even though I, I know you learned or you were learning from a qualified teacher, you maybe didn't have that underlying knowledge. And I think it maybe sort of shows that as long as you've got a few senior members in particular company in positions that maybe have them accreditations, they can kind of feed that information, feed that knowledge down through. And I think that's the issue with the with outsourcing at the moment because what happened to me was a niche in the market. It doesn't happen like nationally, as I said. There's a lot of research out there that sports coaching companies are turning up five minutes before before a lesson with no planning, with no uh, progressions, with no differentiation. Teachers then who who are meant to be getting CPD are then having to step into lessons to manage behavior and they're not getting lesson plans and they're not getting progressions so their development is not happening and again this problem stems from like you said when you asked me the lack of pedagogy and not having the relevant degree to back up the knowledge because teaching PE is so much more than physical it's it's not physical activity it's not sport physical education is different it's defined differently it's about the growth and uh, motor uh, skill development of children I agree you know it particularly PE is about it's not just about sport you know I've played sport my whole life but do I know anything about PE definitely not yeah um, and I think and I think it is about getting these outsourcing companies which I know having worked with some that are very good at it they've got mentoring programs and things like that which do focus on a six-week stint at a school with a teacher a one-to-one with the lesson plans, with the behaviour management skills, with the pedagogy, uh, with the progress uh, reports, and then the teachers can take them away and carry on their development and feel more confident going forward. And I think it is about sort of recognising that whilst we may have really positive experiences, the research is suggesting that that's not the case nationally mm -hmm. um, on the whole. So I completely understand sort of why teachers may be struggling to develop if companies aren't Given that platform and given that advice, yeah, and it's quite it's quite interesting that you you obviously raise those questions because like I'm sat here thinking so if that isn't a national trend and there are issues with outsourcing, so why are these companies being hired essentially? Why are they repeatedly being hired year on year, getting a decent amount of money for for, for the work that they're supposedly uh, meant to be doing? And I think a lot of it actually stems from um, university or teacher training. Um, and there's a really interesting study by a guy called Harris and he found that within his study that 43% of the teachers that he interviewed they said that they found that the training was inadequate furthermore to this a quarter of them had stated that uh, they had less than 10 hours worth of uh, 
PE training or development for their skills. So less than 10 hours, I mean, that that's nine lessons. And if you think about it, you get two hours per week. So that that's four weeks you're covered for, essentially. Yeah. Nowhere near enough to cover the broad curriculum that is actually in PE and that needs to be covered throughout the year. And I think that lack of time and that lack of attention to not just PE but any foundation subject is part of the problem and and it moves on quite nicely to the pressures that maybe SLT are under you know with, with a narrow curriculum focusing on assessments around English and maths a little bit of science but even they're not assessed you know it's predominantly English maths and reading at a primary level how are they supposed to juggle sort of using the funding in the best way possible whilst taking the pressure off their teachers yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because, again, there's some really interesting figures some, from, from some prominent um, figures within PE uh, who are really active on, on Twitter and really knowledgeable and insightful. Uh, that's Grant Huddleston and Victoria Randall. But they did a study looking at how the PE funding was being spent, essentially. But, but also, as well, within that study, they asked PE teachers why, uh, why the funding was being spent on these external sources because it actually took up a large portion of their funding and it was found that they said it was it was cheap cover for uh, PPA uh, compared to like a supply agency with qualified teachers so you've touched on the narrow curriculum uh, you've talked about the other pressures two hours in an afternoon per week is a lot of time for teachers to go and get stuff done that has been singled out by offset as a priority with these core subjects so Yes, there's a responsibility on SLT to not do that because it states in the Department for Education document regarding the funding that that's not what it should be used for. But again, these pressures on the core subjects must be really telling for um, when they have inspections and lead tables that that's where they're being held accountable for. Like you've touched on as well, the foundation subjects, they're not being assessed. So why wouldn't, te- uh, why wouldn't SLT or teachers put that um, pressure onto them? And another thing as well, which is, really interesting because we, we've touched on the, the, the cuts to the funding there was a study done in Birmingham that covered all the local authorities within Birmingham and they looked at how the P, uh, the PSP was being spent but what came from the study was because obviously I touched on at the beginning of the episode that schools now have to publish online I think it was from 2014 they, from 2014 they had to publish online how they were spending the, uh, the PSP funding so it was transparent even with those guidelines as it were within the whole of the Birmingham re- region, the highest percentage of a conforming local authority had only 58% schools conforming to that guideline, the lowest being 11%. So again, that raises further issues to actually where that money is being spent. But also it, it, it offers an explanation to why that money is being spent elsewhere because of these pressures that are coming from uh, these other subjects that are getting well, the sole focus essentially. It's quite ironic, really, because I know me and you discussed it off air plenty of times. The focus on assessment and how sort of detrimental it is to to the holistic development of the children and the well being, among other things, the social side of of a child's experience in school, and yet to sort of support the funding that's being put in place and make sure it is being used effectively, we're probably arguing that we actually could do with PE being assessed. Yeah, and I think you, you, you've you touched on it there a little bit as well, that 
the current education system, like the fact towards it, is within the national curriculum. There's 159 pages for maths, English, and science. There's two for PE. There's four for the humanities subjects. There's two for music. Which is three subjects, humanities as well. Exactly. Which is, <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah. It, 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 it's crazy. Like the, the disproportion and the unbalance of, of the curriculum. So even, even though you're su- suggesting that yes, PE should be assessed and yes, it should be, in, in my eyes, it should be along with other subjects, but not, not in a formal way. I think yeah. there's be- better ways to do it. Like observations in PE, I think is a uh, really, easy way to do it because you can uh, monitor the development of children of their growth and fine motor skills and also when you, when you look at uh, sports you can be more specific in terms of uh, the different types of school uh, skills so for example like if you picked up dribbling for example in football hockey and rugby is all different but a child might be a diff- at a different level for yeah. um, each thing so it, again it's about it's about having that that understanding and but again it goes back to the point there needs to be a more balanced curriculum yeah and I think in regards to the understanding of PE, I think that's part of the issue because PE as a subject is, a, is very different, I would say, to predominantly the rest of, of the subjects, you know, geography, history, RE, PSHE, English, math, science. These are all very classroom based activities and subjects that I think a lot of the skills are transferable for a teacher, you know, people like ourselves, for example, when we go into a classroom, we go into a school, it's probably easier for us to go from humanities to English back to science rather than go from PE to to humanities because just having that sort of background knowledge of a wide range of, of sports, of activities, of differentiation between children and their skill set, I think it's just it almost is a separate skill set on its own. And I think this is why I'm so frustrated by the whole the whole funding issue because for the past eight years, there's been a real chance to change the perception, the perspe- uh, perspective, the pedagogy towards PE. Unfortunately, these outsourcing companies haven't delivered on what the DFE set out in, back in 2012. And the problem is, is that the moment you privatise something, no matter what, and if we look at education, PE is now seen as a privatised entity. You take away the uh, the main focus of child wellbeing, child uh, outcomes within within a lesson companies focuses on how much money can we wait uh, how much money can we make how many schools ca- can we get in and if they're in loads and loads of different schools inevitably the quality of what they're delivering is going to go down because they've got so much admin to do and that's where their focus is and i think from the research and from my experience as well it has been neglected massively and that's why there hasn't been this change of perception, there hasn't been this change of perspective, and there hasn't been this change towards an assessment type of PE um, because the knowledge hasn't been transferred onto teachers uh, because people are going into schools who don't have that knowledge to uh, to embed those skills for teachers. So stripping it sort of right back in terms of moving forward, we've discussed maybe the positives in terms of the policy that was in place 10 years ago, I think it covers a lot of the aspects, really important aspects of PE as a subject. Equally, we're talking about the funding that is there, which is, again, far more than than the majority of subjects get in primary education. And then on the flip side, we're talking about the lack of progress that PE has made as a subject, the lack of impact the PE Sports Premium has had on children and teacher development particularly, and the lack of sort of sustainability that the, that the, the PSP has so far. So moving forward, 
where do we go? Where do we go from here? Well, you touched on it with our experiences with companies. There are some very, very good external companies out there. Like the company that I just worked for, they hire qualified or trainee teachers. So there are good options to uh, hire in good outsourcing companies. But again, it goes back to the point, you have to have a good interview process for these companies because you are spending your money on these external companies to deliver what the DFE has set out they want for PE to be and what they want PE to be improved in. So yes, I, I think, I feel that yes, SLT are under pressure, but I feel like they can help themselves by actually at the start asking the right questions towards towards these companies. And yeah, ultimately sort of doing the research, I guess, into these companies. But again, on the flip side, how can you expect them to do that when there's no kind of governing body or senior body that is pressurising them to do it and for enforcing that on them, which again could potentially be another solution longer term in terms of the effectiveness and the sustaining the PSP as a as a successful funding. And it's interesting you say that, but it is part of SLT's responsibility because the whole idea with PE is to integrate it into whole school planning and policy. Now, we know this country is very much based on uh, the outcomes of children, the attainment levels. There's a couple of really, really interesting studies done in Lithuania. They're slightly different to our country and their ideology. Um, they put child health, uh, well-being and physical well-being right at the top of their curriculum. And there was two studies done in that country, one in 2018, and they found that if a child was participating in more physical ex exercise and activity, it correlated with positive learning outcomes. Furthermore to this, in 2020, they actually went into four different pr primary schools in Lithuania. And what they found is, is that they wanted to deliver innovative physical education lessons. Now what happened was in these schools, physical education was delivered directly before, before maths. So what they did, they integrated maths into PE and they integrated PE into maths. Now before, they concluded their results and stuff. Prior to this, it was found that classroom-based activity may have a positive effect on academic achievement, cognitive function and behavior also. There's also as well, um, someone with strong cardiovascular fitness, this also correlates with mathematic uh, attainment levels. What they found in their research with the group that incorporated these physical active lessons in maths and PE with the subject focus being around maths in some lessons, they demonstrated superior mathematical ability. Now one of the things that they do emphasize is that there isn't going to be sudden change. You have to be consistent with certain approaches when you go to school. They said after a year, they could see the difference. If you ran it for another year, you could see exceptional differences with uh, children's attainment level so if our focus in our curriculum is based on assessment and attainment level there is research out there that proves that having cross-curricular learning with physical exercise or activity is actually beneficial to children's learning outcomes well you've certainly explained why i'm not very good at maths at the moment then <laughs> the lack of cardiovascular fitness um but no i agree it's it is about changing the focus i think from 
neoliberalism, which we'll touch on in a future episode, to holistic curriculum that integrates foundation subjects across the likes of maths and English. And when you start focusing on the well-being of a child and the holistic development of a child, such as the social, the cognitive, emotional development, that's when you'll start to see the attainment levels rise. And the research has supported that in sort of Eastern Europe. And I know if you go to the likes of Scandinavia, there will also be research which, which support that argument. In terms of longer term solutions, we've touched on it there, but I think a shift in, in policy, a broader and balanced curriculum obviously would, would have a huge impact longer term in making the PE funded more sustainable. Are there any sort of other longer term solutions which you may feel be beneficial to the PSP? Yeah, I think I think it's important as well to recognise that you said about the change of education focus, that universities right now, with the training that they offer to teachers, their training is based on the current curriculum. They are preparing teachers for what teaching life is going to be about. So you can't blame them, essentially, for not teaching as much PE as the other subjects because that's not what our current curriculum is built towards. It's built towards the more course... Um, towards the, the core subjects. Again, that has direct implications on SLT and uh, teachers as well. So yeah, that shift in focus is is re- really important to a more balanced curriculum and a holistic development of children, essentially. The other thing was, so if the government decide to commit to this funding for another five, 10 years, what they should have done in 2012 is that the announcement of the original PSP, they should have announced a new P curriculum, a detailed P curriculum um, to go alongside the funding to help teachers. And so external companies, P coordinators could go off. So as a trend nationally, teachers could help each other with resources, ideas, development of, of their own, own schools. So I think that's a really, really important move forward if they are going to commit to this this funding as well. But I think as well, um, for a personal for both me and you, we're doing PE specialism. Uh, the students out there who have done a PE specialism and there is opportunity to hire students uh, to become a PE coordinator in your school, which I feel is a really beneficial, especially beneficial way of using the PSP funding because I've had that experience. You're in the same school every single day. You know all the kids, you know all the teachers, you know the behaviour policy, you know the whole school plan. So having that day-to-day contact with every member of staff and every child is only going to be beneficial because then you can tailor uh, physical education towards whole school development and to actually tailoring the individual needs of that school. And in terms of teacher development, I think it's a really effective way in building that relationship with PE as a subject because if you have a PE coordinator that's in the school full-time, part of the faculty... Any of them questions which teachers may not be um, 100% comfortable with, they will go to the PE coordinator and they'll probably feel more comfortable going toward the PE coordinator who can answer them questions. Well, they're in the same school every single day. They're not jumping to three or four different schools and having to uh, do admin for other schools. So that's a really beneficial thing in itself. And it moves nicely onto our CPD recommendations section this week because... Obviously, you've touched on a few articles which are really good, which will be posted. Obviously, a couple of the research papers from Lithuania. Also, you touched on Harris in particular and his university training. Um, there's just one which I want you to quickly understand before we before we finish off. Um, in terms of changing pedagogy towards PE, there's a, there's a guy called David Kirk and another one called Ashley Casey, both main authors for something called model-based learning. Now, 
before we, we move on and finish off the episode, I just want you to quickly outline what that is. Yeah, so there's been research produced uh, by these uh, two guys, um, essentially, and there's uh, other people as well, like Victoria Randall, who's been a prominent feature towards this as well. It's about changing the pedagogy of, of PE. It, rather than focusing just on the physical aspect of PE, it looks at uh, the outcomes of social, cognitive, emotion, emotional, and and obviously the physical out- outcomes of PE. So it's looking at the whole physical education of the child rather than just um, focusing on, on one aspect. Because if you focus on all four things, you're developing the child hugely. Yeah. And also it goes back to the point of developing the child holistically. Um, I'll leave the the research papers in uh, for our CPD. And also we hope as well in the future with our tutor, uh, he can come on and explain a little bit more about uh, model-based learning as well. Yeah, and I think you've just said it, it touches on just integrating PE as a subject into a wider focus on holistic development rather than just the sporting achievement of, of children, which obviously is, is what we all want ultimately as, as educators. Like I say, moving on future episodes wise, we've got Dr. Tom Vine Rosson who's going to come in and talk to us about PE from an academic perspective, which would be really great. Also, we've got Sounds Good Friend Bodie who runs his own outsourcing company successfully um, who's going to come and maybe discuss with us in greater detail what he actually does I think as well what's important to highlight about Bodie as well so he works for the Yorkshire Sport Foundation but also as well last year's change towards the Ofsted framework they changed it to a deep dive which I'm sure loads of SLT and head teachers are, are fully aware of it Bodie offer, also offers mentorship towards head teachers of how to uh, make sure PA if, if P is the chosen subject for a deep dive that it meets the criteria of the of, of the Ofsted inspection framework and we'll also be touching on the subject of dance we've got an uh, existing teacher Liv Bowman uh, who's going to come on and have an interview of us about the impact of dance maybe discuss whether it's actually a sport or an art and you know just have a discussion about that which would be really exciting now this has been such an insightful episode I think just not just for myself but also for people listening. Now, we've touched on the CBD recommendations, but Sam, as we touched on at the start, has recently completed his dissertation on the subject, particularly the impact of PE in sports premium. And if you want to get in touch with Sam um, regarding his dissertation, which, by the way, he did get first, so it is a really good read. I've read it. fascinating. I mean, it backs up all the research that we've discussed today. Then get in touch with him on at Mr. Underscore G underscore 14. Equally, if you want to get in touch with me, um, my Instagram handle is at the alternative teacher underscore and most importantly if you want to get in touch with either of us or the podcast then get in touch with us on instagram at the teachers of tomorrow or on twitter at tft pod like i say really excited to to get this one out sam looking forward to to getting a reaction of people and looking forward to hearing what people think yeah just hope it's just insightful and gives people a bit more awareness and, and knowledge of yeah pe and the subject and hopefully we can start to see improvements <laughs> let's see fingers crossed mate cheers pal cheers thank you